I saw that when I had big glucose spikes, my mental health would get worse. I even was able to trigger one of these weird mental health episodes that had been, you know, plaguing me for a decade when I had big glucose spikes. So I started seeing this connection of like how I'm eating is affecting how I'm feeling. From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, on health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. Blood sugar. It's something I know a thing, or actually a thousand, about. In my book, Hormone Intelligence, I have an entire chapter dedicated to food with a major emphasis on blood sugar balance because it's so important to so many conditions and symptoms that women experience, including PCOS, premenstrual mood swings, inflammation underpinning endometriosis, fertility challenges, menopause symptoms, and more. And then in Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, there's also a chapter because problems with blood sugar and energy balance can signal the equivalent of a four-alarm fire level of emergency in your brain, and in turn, throw you into chronic survival mode, not to mention all the inflammation, hormone, energy, metabolism, and mood problems that can follow. There's also a module on it in my Women's Integrative and Functional Medicine Training Program, and it's the starting place in how I work with my patients. I've been on the healthy blood sugar train since I first read Sugar Blues back in the early 1980s. Blood sugar balance is not just for the 30 to 50% of the population with or expected to develop diabetes. It's for all of us to prevent us from getting to that place, as well as preventing another condition that affects far more women than men, dementia. But it's also important for us to live our best, most steady lives with a healthy mind, moods, and hormones. It's also important for preventing and reversing inflammation, a phenomenon that happens at the intersection of something called glycation and our cells and underpins almost every condition and symptom we experience. It's so important that creating energy balance is central to how I prepare all of my meals, how I consider my snacks, and in short, along with making sure all of my foods are as close to nature provides as possible, Blood sugar balance is the thread that runs through how I think about food and how I eat. Personally, it's the key to steady energy, not needing to rely on coffee, sugar, or quick carbs, to keeping my brain, mood, focus, and creativity at the level that I want them to be, and to sustainably, easily moving my body and keeping inflammation to its essential minimum for my health. Today, my guest, Jesse Inshosp, and I talk about all things blood sugar balance, from what it is to how you can achieve it. We talk about how blood sugar impacts our energy, cravings, mood swings, hormones, and more, 
and what you can do to reverse and avoid these symptoms as well as the bigger medical conditions facing so many women and our children and our families simply by learning how to eat for blood sugar balance. Jesse is a French biochemist, founder of the Glucose Goddess Movement, and author of Glucose Revolution, The Life-Changing Power of Balancing Your Blood Sugar, which is the New York Times bestseller and all things blood sugar 101 in the best possible way, meaning it's accessible and simply actionable. Join us for a talk that's not only pivotal to women's health and your family health, but something you can do to quickly shift and dramatically improve your energy, health, and well-being starting today. Jesse, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here with me today. Thank you. I'm so excited to speak with you. Before we dive in, and I use that term almost literally because I read your story in your book, and you really dove in and that kind of started your origin story with all of this. So I'm always so curious, what is someone's origin story? How did they get to doing what they're doing now? So for you, tell us the story of how you became glucose goddess. From ages zero to 19, I was not particularly interested in health. I was like a pretty, you know, no problem kid. And then when I was 19, I jumped off a waterfall. And unfortunately, broke my back doing that. So that was really horrible. And I had very intense surgery. Then physically and mentally, I struggled for a very long time. But what that started for me is a journey to try to understand how, how to feel better. At its very core, I was just trying to answer the question, how do I wake up in the morning and feel good? And don't feel crippling and anxiety, weird disassociation, feeling like my body was this black box I couldn't understand. Was it because you were in so much pain or was it the pain plus this existential like, holy crap, I could have died. I broke my back. I could have been paralyzed. Sometimes people have these experiences and it's the pain causing anxiety. It's inflammation. It's medications. And sometimes it's just kind of this wake up moment that can be anxiety provoking. So I was in no pain afterwards. Really, the physical part was fine. But, and I don't even know why my mental health got so bad. I couldn't say like exactly why it happened. Looking back now, I think it's because I had a lot of unprocessed stress in my body that I had not metabolized. I had not been shown how to move through. So I think my body was just stuck in this fight or flight of like, oh my God, we're going to die. And I think that's what happened. My body just stayed in that state. And for a decade... I had no idea how to fix it. And it was manifesting with all these mental health issues. So I thought, hey, I'm going to go study biochemistry because that way maybe I'll understand my body a bit better. And it helped a little bit. I got pretty interested in metabolism at that point. And then I thought I'm going to go to the forefront of health tech. So that meant going to Silicon Valley and working in a big health tech company. At that point, genetics was the hot thing. And so I thought I might get some answers there. Unfortunately, I didn't get many answers, but what I did learn at 23andMe was how to communicate complicated science in an engaging way. So my job there was to turn the studies that 23andMe was publishing into digestible bits of content for the 23andMe customer base. So that's where I started understanding that I had a pretty good natural talent at distilling complicated scientific studies into something engaging and fun and that people wanted to learn about and engage with. But you still weren't quite dialed into the blood sugar thing yet. 
Exactly. Yeah. So at that point, I was still completely clueless about how to feel better myself. But something cool happened because I was in the Silicon Valley space and we were always testing new devices, new things. I had the opportunity to put on a glucose monitor for the first time. The continuous glucose monitors that are made for people with diabetes. And what I saw really changed my life. I saw that when I had big glucose spikes, my mental health would get worse. I even was able to trigger one of these weird mental health episodes that had been you know, plaguing me for a decade when I had big glucose spikes. So I started seeing this connection of like how I'm eating is affecting how I'm feeling. And I just, to use the analogy again, I just dove in headfirst to this because I was so drawn to this science, to this molecule of glucose, something was calling me there. And so I learned all these things. I learned that actually glucose does not matter just for people with diabetes. Actually, the estimates say about 80% of the population experiences glucose spikes. And these lead to many things from cravings to mental health issues, to hormonal issues, to poor sleep, etc. And then I discovered these interesting hacks in the scientific literature that taught me how to avoid the glucose spike, so how to feel better without doing anything super drastic or going on intense diets. And when I discovered this and it healed me so much and it helped me so much in my life, I thought, hey, this is really exciting. I love this topic. I want to see if I can get other people to care about this. So I took my undergrad in math, my, my grad degree in biochemistry, my understanding of how to read a scientific paper, and also my love for communicating science in a fun way. And I started sharing about glucose on Instagram. And so things grew really quickly, but it was a lot of work. I was really passionate. I was like, if 23andMe was able to make genetics something that many people care about and turn something really complicated, like your genetic code into insights that are interesting, entertaining, useful, what if I did that for glucose? So let's take a step back for a minute because so often, and especially for those of us who are scientists, we can use language that we assume everybody else understands. So for those who are listening who are like, I want to know what this is, but I don't actually, and I'm a little lost. Let's just say, what is glucose? What is it really doing in the body that makes it so important and has such an impact on so many varied aspects of our well-being? So glucose is your body's preferred energy source. And every single cell in your body uses glucose for energy. So for example, your heart cells use glucose to pump blood through your system. Your finger cells use glucose when you're typing on your computer. Your feet cells use glucose when you're running to catch the bus. So glucose is very, very important. And the main way that us as humans give glucose to our body is through eating foods and specifically through eating two kinds of foods, starchy food. So that's bread, pasta, rice, potatoes, oats, anything starchy and sweet foods. So that's anything that tastes sweet, for example, fruits, but also desserts and candy and ice cream and fruit juices and anything that's sweet. So starches and sugars give glucose to the body. The thing is, even though your body is happy to receive glucose and your cells need it, if you give your body too much of it, problems start happening. And I like to compare the body to a plant. So Aviva, if you 
went on a vacation and you were like, Jesse, please take care of my plants. I would take that plant to my place and I would know I need to give the plant some water so it survives. But if I give the plant too much water, the plant will drown. And then you'll come back from vacation and your plant will be dead and you'll be really mad at me. The plant needs some water, but too much water causes problems. Same thing with the human body. The human body needs some glucose, but too much of it causes issues. And specifically, if during a meal, you're giving to your body too much glucose too quickly, that creates what's called a glucose spike. And that's just a really quick increase in glucose concentration in your blood. And those spikes carry with them consequences. And that's the whole thing I'm trying to teach people about, how to avoid the spikes. And not necessarily by avoiding eating starches and sugars, because that's, for me, that's a little bit difficult. Like I love my pasta and my chocolate cake. So I had to figure out how to eat them in a way that wasn't creating glucose spikes. You started to use this continuous glucose monitor experimentally, and you were eating different things and measuring your glucose at different times and exercising or not after a meal and measuring, monitoring, and then creating these graphs that took on a life of their own in your family and friends and social media. Tell us about how that happened for you. That's completely correct. So I was seeing all these things on my glucose monitor. And at first, it's really difficult to understand because one day you eat a bag of chips and there's a glucose spike and then you eat the same bag of chips the next day and there's no glucose spike and everything is kind of complicated and confusing. So I went back to the research and to the scientific studies and I started understanding these key principles like, oh, if you start your meal with vegetables, the spike will be smaller. If you use your muscles after eating, the spike will be smaller. And so what I then did is I used my own data from my glucose monitor just to illustrate the scientific studies that were out there. So I, I figured out that, of course, I can't use my own data and draw any conclusions from that. But what I could do was illustrate the scientific studies and use my glucose data as a tool to get people interested in that particular scientific discovery, as a tool to get people to just stop and, and look and understand. Because when you see what actually takes place in your body, if you compare, for example, a whole orange versus the juice of that orange, you'll see the juice spike is much bigger, right? And I could tell you that. I could say eating whole fruit is better than eating juices for your glucose levels. But if I showed you the actual glucose curve, that would be much more compelling and much more arresting. And that's what I started to do. I just started using my own data as a way to illustrate the science. And your Instagram is really fun and informative in the best ways. I mean, you show things like a glucose curve if you eat your starch at the beginning of the meal, or if you eat your starch after the meal, or a glucose spike if you eat a certain food and then don't take a walk versus if you eat a certain food. And I find this for me in my practice, I don't use CGMs or continuous glucose monitors routinely. I feel like the data is still emerging, the technology is still emerging, and I, I want to hear your thoughts on that. But I have, over many years now, before CGMs were available, had patients who were maybe not quite ready to make the changes just because I suggested them. But let's say they were pre-diabetic or struggling with various symptoms, and I'm trying to show them the correlation between what their blood sugar is doing 
and what they're experiencing and also simple ways they can improve it. So I might have a patient who, you know, back in the day would do like a finger blood sugar test after dinner. And then the next day or two days later, eat the same dinner, check their blood sugar and then go for a walk and then check it again versus comparing it, like checking it and then checking it an hour later. And they're like, oh my goodness, all I had to do was take a relaxed walk for 30 minutes and my blood sugar was great. And then they see it and they're like, okay, I can do this for my health. And it makes such a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, you know, using my data is so powerful for people because they don't have to wear their own CGM. But when you see it happening inside of somebody's body, your brain as a human, I think is so visual. And so it just cements it. You're like, oh, wow, now I get it, you know? And using these glucose curves is an amazing education tool. On the topic of the glucose monitors, I kind of agree with you. I think that the ones that are currently on the market are really medical devices. You know, they've been created for people with diabetes. The data is confusing to understand, Viva. Like, I get many messages from people who are like, I was at 95, now I'm at 98. Like, is that okay? Is that normal? And I think people get too hung up on the exact number, which actually can be inaccurate. And instead, I would rather people focus on learning these really key principles and sort of feeling the difference and feeling better instead of having to necessarily wear this complicated medical device to see it actually working. I'm really actually appreciative that you said that about CGMs. And I want to tie that back to something you said earlier, which is you hadn't learned before you got into this work and this space to really connect the dots between the foods you were eating, and how you were feeling. One of the things that I have all my patients do when they come in before their first appointment and, and before every visit is do a food journal for three days, but it's not just what are they eating. How did they feel an hour later, two hours later? When my patients can see, oh, I ate oatmeal with some honey and raisins and a banana for breakfast, and they're exhausted at 10 o'clock in the morning. I barely even have to explain it. So in your experience and in the work that you're doing, how do you like to help people connect the dots on what they eat and how they feel? And to that also, what are some of the basic signs and symptoms you encourage people to look out for that suggest that their blood sugar is low or high, or that they're in a good, healthy, steady state? There are three main symptoms that somebody is on a glucose roller coaster. So they're spiking and then crashing and that their glucose is not in a steady, optimal place. And those three main symptoms are cravings. So just all of a sudden, you really want to eat something sweet. Whatever it is, ice cream in your freezer, a cookie, a piece of chocolate, you just really need to eat something sweet. That's a very common one. Another one is being hungry every 90 minutes. So you just had breakfast or lunch or dinner, and then in 90 minutes or two hours later, whoa, hunger pangs, you need to eat something again. You know, physically you feel just kind of weak and your stomach might hurt. That's another really common one. And the last one is one you mentioned is actually this unsteady energy. So feeling really perked up and then crashing and feeling like if you could just nap on the floor here while you're in line at the bank, you know, <laughs> you would do it. Yep. These extreme variations in how you're feeling. And the cravings one is really interesting. So uh, scientists at Yale put people in an fMRI scanner and they showed them on a screen in front of them 
images of foods that people often crave. So like cookies and burgers and stuff. At the same time, they were monitoring the participants' glucose levels and looking at the inside of their brain with the scanner. And they found that when people had low glucose, which happens often after you spike and then you crash, that the craving center in their brain activated. And that all of a sudden, they were rating all of these foods they were seeing on their screen really high on the I want to eat it scale. So the scientists were able to link these varying glucose levels, and especially those drops with just this uncontrollable craving coming from deep within our brain. And so when people say, oh, I'm having cravings, I don't have enough willpower, I feel guilty, I feel ashamed for my cravings, I actually encourage them to think about it another way. It's like, the cravings are actually just a symptom of your glucose being all over the place. If you fix the glucose, the cravings just magically dissipate. It's quite remarkable. What's so interesting with that, and I talk about this in Adrenal Thyroid Revolution and in Hormone Intelligence, is that our brains, as you know, use 80% of our glucose even at rest. They use an enormous amount. And so when your brain is getting the message that glucose is low, it's like danger, 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 danger. And the quickest way to get that glucose to spike back up is to eat something that is super fast digesting which is sugar or a simple carb. But as you said, it is super fast digesting. So you end up back in that spike, which is why we also don't get satiated by those foods. And then because your brain is needing the energy, if you're not getting it, well, the only way your brain can conserve energy at that point is to make you go lay down and rest. It's this totally important primal way of making sure that you're getting energy that you need. Yes. And however, when people have these symptoms, often what we do or what we're told to do is like, oh, if you're tired, you know, drink some coffee. Right. Or like, if you have cravings, just ignore them and willpower your way through it. Or like, have the cookie, but then go work out for two hours. Like, we're really focused on these symptoms and trying to fix the short-term thing. But actually, to me, they're like your body's messages. Totally. Your body is speaking to you. And what's really interesting, too, is that this issue of willpower, and I see this in my medical practice all the time and in women who write to me online, like, I just have no willpower. And when I explain to them that when your brain is in this sort of like DEFCON 1, right, like there's this total emergency going on from a blood sugar level, your brain actually activates adrenaline and cortisol. And when this is happening often enough, that cortisol actually hijacks your executive function and literally takes your willpower offline. I remember there used to be a TV commercial on and there was this woman who was so stressed out and her kids were crying, her doorbell was ringing, like all the things were happening. And then she gets a minute to herself and she unwraps this little dove chocolate bar and she bites into it and you just watch her go, like her shoulders drop. She's like, but it's like you're watching her feed that brain crisis so that it can calm down. And also the dopamine and sugar, right? Yes. The dopamine makes us feel pleasure. And so often we think, oh, a sweet breakfast, for example, is going to give me energy. But actually what it's doing is it's giving you pleasure, short-term pleasure from dopamine of the sweetness. And then long-term is just harming your body's ability to make energy. Your mitochondria, the little powerhouses of your cells become really tired. Um, and so that's another big thing that when people change their breakfast, all of this gets better. 
You mentioned earlier, and I wanted to circle back to this before we start to get into solutions, these blood sugar spikes in and of themselves are really dangerous. And I know this is part of why you're really passionate about teaching people about this. This is why I'm passionate about teaching people about it and also why I'm having you here. This phenomenon of these blood sugar spikes and glycation of our cells can cause what I consider the mother of all root causes, inflammation. What is it from your perspective that you feel most concerned about, about people experiencing these blood sugar spikes and the consequences that you mentioned? I mean, I agree with you. You know, I think there's like three main biological things that happen in our body when we spike. One of them is inflammation. And I think the stat is that three out of five people in the world will die of an inflammation-based disease. So that's a huge, huge driver of problems. Uh, Second is glycation. So just aging makes you age faster. On the outside, the more you have glucose spikes, the more you're going to have wrinkles and the faster you're going to have wrinkles, which is very motivating to a lot of people. It is it's actually a phenomenon I talk about called inflammaging, which is actually a Ooh. legit term that Robert Sapolsky talks about in his research on the stress response, but inflammaging and brain flammaging is another one. So the impact of quicker aging on our brains. So you have inflammation, you have aging, and then you have insulin release, which itself, you know, when there's too much insulin in the body, there's a lot of problems and a lot of hormonal issues, but also can lead to diabetes, et cetera. And for me, so you asked me, you know, what am I the most concerned about? What's interesting, Aviva, is that every person has such a different background and every person's body is so unique that in every single person, glucose spikes will actually create different symptoms and avoiding these spikes will lead to different benefits. So you might have one person who is trying to have a baby and can't and also has this really bad brain fog. And when they balance their glucose levels, that gets better. You have another person who's like, I have bad acne and my energy is all over the place. I can't sleep. And boom, when they flatten their glucose curves, that gets better. And on and on and on and on. In every person, there's a different little uh, crystallization of what glucose spikes do. For me, it was mental health and skin. Mental health, skin, and energy, those were the big things. And, you know, I came in from the mental health angle. And because that's what I was suffering the most with. And then when I learned to avoid the glucose spikes, also I felt so much better. My skin art cure, I had more energy. So it was like, oh, wow, bonus. Glucose is so fundamental to your body and to every single system in your body that whichever door you come through, other benefits are going to happen when you get that glucose level under control. You've done a lot of work with a continuous glucose monitor experimentally with yourself and with some others. Do you feel? that becoming really attuned to when we're feeling well and what those symptoms of energy imbalance are, blood sugar imbalance are, is generally enough to safely say for most people that their blood sugar is staying steady versus variations that they might not be picking up on how they feel, but that still may be causing damage for them. Yes, I think, you know, the the impact on just your experience of the world, your mental health, your energy levels, your happiness, your sleep, like this happens really quickly when you incorporate the hacks I share. People are surprised and kind of shook by by the change. And then maybe they'll go, you know, once a year, check their glucose levels with their doctor and see their fasting is lower. But I do find that for most people, especially because the CGMs that exist right now are not really there yet. I think just 
the symptoms alleviate so quickly and you just feel so different that actually it's sufficient. I completely agree with you from my experience and then also years now of working with people on these shifts that help them keep steady energy. I explained it to my patients as energy balance because when they think blood sugar balance, they aren't always like, well, how do I know? And they say, well, energy balance. And they're like, oh, yeah. I get that. And then how do you think about food as energy balancing your meals? But from years now of looking at people's shifts and then trending their hemoglobin A1C every eight to 12 weeks, it's astonishing how quickly somebody, even who is moderately, truly diabetic can go into a normal range or how somebody who's pre-diabetic can become completely normal and someone can improve their parameters. And it can happen in a very short time. And you can feel better within, I mean, I've seen people feel better from just energy balancing within days or weeks. Absolutely agree with you. It, it can take days completely. It's very quick because your glucose levels are responding instantly to how you're eating and how you're moving. And so the impact is very immediate. You know, if your whole life you've been having a sweet breakfast and then you decide, okay, I'm going to try this thing of having a savory breakfast and see how I feel, your day will be completely transformed. It'll be like walking through the other side of a mirror, you know, in a movie and like, whoa, whole new world. I'm not tired mm -hmm. anymore. 11 a.m. Cravings are gone. It Just in a day, it can change. What's amazing is like this stuff that we're talking about has been shown to help prevent dementia, which affects way more women than men and just has devastating life consequences, but even help roll back symptoms of yes. dementia, diabetes, heart disease. It's pretty astonishing. So yeah. I want to talk about, and this is something I'm always working with my students and my patients, that balance between healthy eating non-restriction, pleasure, and which things really aren't food that are kind of like the no-fly zone. Can you talk about how you roll with all of that? I love this topic. I'm, I'm sort of like brewing on it myself. And I think I like the concept of making the distinction between a pleasure decision and a sort of, you know, health or glucose decision. And there's a few layers to this. So number one, importantly, is that when you balance your glucose levels and you use the hacks I share, you're no longer controlled by your cravings. You yes. no longer have this thing of like, oh my God, if I walk by that bakery, I can't resist it. You know, it's, you're no longer existing in that space. You're more in a space of like, ooh, you know what? I really want to eat that really good ice cream that I love and I'm going to drive like half an hour and go get it because that's really the one I'm really going to have the most pleasure to eat. So you're in a different space where like you're no longer controlled by these and you can really make these pleasure decisions and pick your favorite cookie. I always ask my patients to try to get deeply in touch with, is this a craving that's driving you or a desire that you're driving. Exactly. And then on the part of how do we balance healthy eating and pleasure, my philosophy is there are these principles that are going to help you and use them as much as you can. But also, this is not a restrictive diet. We're not in a sort of like loop where you have to do this, otherwise everything fails and you're a failure. These are just principles that you have to keep in mind. With these principles, 
you actually can incorporate sugar into your diet in a way that's going to be less harmful for your body. And if you forget or you don't want to do the hacks one day, that's totally fine. I think we're operating the same level as like, you should be drinking two liters of water a day. Like, you know that. And sometimes it's 8 p.m. and you're like, oh my God, I didn't drink any water today. And you're like, okay, let me go drink some water. There's never going to be guilt or shame or, you know, all, all these difficult emotions around not drinking enough water. You're going to be like, oh, I just forgot today. Whatever. I'll just drink more tonight and tomorrow. I want people to feel the same way about the glucose hacks. They're tools. They're important core principles for your health. Do them when it's easy, not stressful. And don't turn this into like a very complicated, regimented, strict thing that you cannot deviate from. Because that's just going to cause a whole other bunch of issues. Within the, are there any things that you just either don't consider food that people tend to eat or foods that you feel just, we really are better off for the most part, not consuming? I guess my biggest pet peeve is people eating or drinking things, thinking they're good for them when actually they're just really, really bad for your health. I'm thinking fruit juices. I'm thinking anything that says no sugar added or like, you know, fruit based, whatever, whatever. I really don't want people to think that these things are healthy and eat them thinking, oh, this is good for me and I'm going to improve my health and how I'm feeling. I want people to be educated. Like, you know what? An Oreo like or whatever, a huge fondant chocolate cake, like that's not good for you and you know it, but you can still have it as a pleasure decision. But I, I don't really have the distinction of food and non-food. It's more like be aware of what this food is going to do to your glucose and choose it if you want, if you're optimizing for pleasure. And if you're optimizing for pleasure around that food decision, use the hacks to minimize the impact on your health. That's more of the way I think about it. Essentially, anything sweet is going to be a pleasure decision. Like there's no need to eat sugar. Your body doesn't need it. It's just going to give you dopamine in your brain. Even fruit, you know, people think, oh, if it's fruit, it's natural, it's healthy. The fruit we eat today is very different from the fruit that nature intended. You know, it's been bred over centuries to be super sweet, super juicy. That's fine. You can totally eat whole fruits, but then as soon as you denature it and you turn it into a fruit juice or, you know, dried fruit or whatever, fruit loops, then it's just not going to be good for your body. So you have to know that. Okay. So let's get to these core principles. You've got nine core principles from what I counted that you lay out in the book. I love how you talk about them. First one, eat foods in the right order. When you're faced with a meal, the science tells us that Depending on the order in which you eat the food in the meal, your glucose spike can be up to 75% smaller. Even though you're eating the same meal overall, same quantity, same foods, if you just pay attention to the order, you'll have a much better impact on your glucose and you'll feel better, your brain will be better, your body will be happier. So the correct order is vegetables first, proteins and fats second, and starches and sugars last. Okay, and this works because the veggies contain fiber. And when fiber arrives in your digestive tract first, it has time to do a magical thing. It has time to deploy itself against the walls of your intestine and create a sort of protective mesh there. And that protective mesh is going to help your body absorb fewer glucose molecules coming down afterwards during the meal. As a result, the glucose spike is smaller. Less energy crash, energy balance is so much better. You don't create that glucose roller coaster that leads to cravings, and you're helping your body short term and long term. You also get sated more quickly. Yeah, absolutely. But even if you eat the same meal 
even if you don't change the quantity and you eat just as much as before, you're still going to have a huge impact by paying attention to the order. I love that. Okay. We'll put that in the show notes for everyone. And Jessie's got it in her book, which I'm holding up here so that if we have the video available someday, everyone can see it. But Jesse, tell everyone while we're at this moment, we'll repeat it, where everyone can find you and get the book. And then we'll go on to the next. For sure. So my book is called Glucose Revolution, and you can find it anywhere online in bookstores. And my main place from which I, you know, uh, interact with the community and do new projects and share cool stuff every day is Instagram. So at Glucose Goddess. Where you are literally a goddess of like a million people community. It's amazing. Okay, so we've got eating foods in the right order. You also say add a plate of vegetables to all your meals, which yes, yes, yes and yes. So this sounds like the first hack, but it's actually very different. So here I'm actually recommending that you add food to your meal. You literally should create a new little dish for yourself that you eat at the beginning of your meals that is vegetable-based. It can be anything from like raw cherry tomatoes that you have in your fridge to leftover broccoli to a nice green salad that you toss with some dressing. Whatever you like that is vegetable-based, add that as a new dish at the beginning of your meal. Eat those veggies first and you'll have a huge impact on your glucose levels for the same reason, the fiber. And just a small or modest portion, like a small salad size. Exactly. If you make this about like 30% of your meal, that's a pretty good standard. So a third of your meal is the veggie starter. So the next one is, in my opinion, just so important and so antithetical to how we teach our kids to eat from the very beginning of their lives, basically, in our wonderful United States here and maybe other places like where you are in France, too. But we start our day with dessert, basically, with sugary Mm -hmm. breakfast. And so this hack is have a savory breakfast. Talk about savory breakfast and some of the ones you love. So the importance of the savory breakfast cannot be overstated. If you start your day with a big glucose spike, your entire day is going to be this glucose roller coaster on which you're completely at the mercy of your cravings, of energy imbalance, of feeling hungry and tired all the time. It's very important to start your day in a way that keeps your glucose levels steady. And the easiest way to do that is just to think, okay, I'm having a savory breakfast. So you build your breakfast around protein. And then you don't eat anything sweet for breakfast, except if you want some whole fruit is fine. Those are the main guidelines, essentially. And then you keep the sweet stuff for later in the day, and we'll get to those hacks in a bit. And, you know, when I was growing up, I also had a sweet breakfast every morning. I mean, it was just the norm. And now I realize, oh, the reason I was so tired every day at 10 is because of that freaking breakfast that was happening. And so now it's a whole new world. And it becomes a vicious cycle. I find that if you start your day, well, at least for me and a lot of women, I know if you start your day with that sweet breakfast and you end up with the blood sugar crash at 10 or 11 in the morning, then the temptation is to eat something sweet. Exactly. So you end up perpetuating. It's the roller coaster. Yes. The next hack is only eat fruit whole. So imagine you mean if you're going to eat oranges, eat an orange. If you're going to not orange juice. Instead of an orange juice. And exactly. is that partly due to the fiber that you're also getting that slows down the digestion of it? Of it's the sugar? exactly for that reason. So in a piece of whole fruit, there is fiber and the fiber blunts the impact of the sugar in the fruit. So if you want to eat something sweet, the best thing to do is to eat a piece of whole fruit because of that fiber. But as soon as we denature a piece of fruit, we juice it, we blend it, we dry it, we whatever it, then we either remove the fiber or we pulverize the fiber 
or we concentrate the sugar and we just turn the fruit into dessert, which is fine to have. But if you're having that, just remember it's dessert. It's not something that's going to be good for my body. So along the lines of not having a sweet breakfast and having a savory breakfast, you also do what I 100% agree with too, which is if you want a snack, have a savory snack. Yes, exactly. So the thing about the sweet breakfast is that when you're fasted, so when your stomach is really empty, and if you eat something sweet, that sugar is going to go straight to your bloodstream completely uninterrupted, right? It's just going to go from your mouth to your blood, big glucose spike. And so between meals, when we want to snack on something, we're also in sort of that same situation where our stomach is more or less empty. And so when your stomach is empty and your system is kind of, you know, just open and receptive, it's not the right time to eat something sweet because if you do, you're going to create that roller coaster again and you're going to activate inflammation and aging and insulin and cravings roller coaster and it's just bad news. So if it's in between meals and you want to snack on something, have something savory, have some nuts, have some Greek yogurt, have some piece of cheese, have an egg, have some leftover frittata, whatever you want that is savory. That will keep your blood sugar steady and avoid going back on that roller coaster that we're so familiar with. So the next one I love, and it's so interesting, it's have dessert over a sweet snack. So I, I'm mm -hmm. guessing now from what you're sharing, this is that you are not having that sweet on the empty stomach. You've already done all the good loading of the fiber and the fat and the protein. And now you can at least tolerate the dessert better. Is that the principle? Exactly. Here? So my philosophy is sugar is everywhere. It's going to be really hard to just completely cut it out of our lives. For most people, that's just not even an option. I love sugar. I would never be able to cut it out of my life either. So the best time to eat sugar is after a meal. So if it's the morning and you walk by your favorite whatever bakery and you see that apple crumble that you love and you really want it right now, you can think, okay, wait a minute, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to have it as dessert after my lunch instead of having it now for breakfast. So you don't have to give it up, but if you have it after a meal, you're going to reduce the impact on your body and your brain and your health. And that's the concept. I love that because you're also giving yourself what your brain really wants to on some level. It's a reward. Right. But in the best possible way. It's like optimizing for pleasure, minimizing the health consequences. That's how I like to think about it. Like you're going to have the apple crumble today. Here's the best time. So there's minimal impact on your health. Well, can I just thank you so much also for admitting that you like sugar? I can't tell you how many times I've been out with a famous so-and-so who is in the wellness space. It's like the whole platform is no sugar, no sugar, no sugar. And they're the first one to eat. <laughs> their dessert and nibble off of everyone else's. And I just feel like there's so much need for this deeper level of transparency and joy and non-restrictiveness. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like that transparency, it allows people to be released from a certain amount of secrecy and shame, which I feel actually just drives the behavior. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I just think everybody's going to have sugar. So it's, and it's everywhere. It's around us. You know, you can't walk five meters without having sugar in every single store at the coffee shop, at the airport, whatever. So it's about like, how do we learn how to eat it in a way that doesn't make us crave even more? So we optimize for pleasure, but we minimize being on the addiction roller coaster. And yes, I'm very transparent and I'm very real. 
And I would never say any foods are off limits. It's just about like learning how and when to eat them. I love that. Before we jump onto the next hack, which is one of my favorites, tell me where in all of this coffee fits in, because there's a lot of new data coming out with coffee that if we have it with our meal or with a carb or after our breakfast, it may be better for us, definitely better than on an empty stomach. Where do you stand with coffee and whether and when to have it? So coffee from a glucose standpoint, in some people, it creates a glucose spike and it's potentially because it's activating the stress response. Um, and so if you're somebody who gets jittery, you're anxious on coffee, it's possible that your glucose levels are also spiking. And there is a recent study that came out that said that it's best to have your coffee after your breakfast, especially if you didn't sleep well. So that's an important element to add to that. And that's one of the cases where like, I totally see why that's better. But personally, like, I need to have my coffee before my breakfast. I just don't want to have breakfast and then coffee. I love waking up, going to the coffee shop, and then an hour later having breakfast. So you got to pick and choose, pick, you know, pick your battles. But it is true from a scientific perspective. It seems that after breakfast is better. And then there are other things too, like coffee is a bitter, so it gets your digestion going. It's elevating for your mood. But then if you're adding sugar or milk to the coffee, that also oh, changes. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. And I, I believe there's also some, I don't know much about this, but you know, coffee and female hormones and potential interplay there. I try to do like half calf and just have one cup. And I'm really mindful that actually I can feel that the caffeine is quite draining, yeah. especially on me. So I try to be super, super cautious and have a little, little bits, but full decaf is a little, not enough. So I do the half calf. Yeah. Okay. I am literally the girl who drinks some of the pickle or sauerkraut juice before I spill out the empty jar. And one of my favorite beverages is I use this local switchel, which is this cider vinegar. And I make what used to be called field lemonade. I don't necessarily add sweet to it, but just a little bit of sparkling water, a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar. And it's just my favorite thing. And I started that when I was pregnant. When I was pregnant, I learned for myself that I could cut my morning sickness a lot of times by having something sour. No way before I ate my meal. So that was how I started with that. Talk to me about incorporating vinegar into your, I'm like, I was like, she's a sister from another mother when I read that. (laughs) So vinegar is wild. The studies show us that if you add a tablespoon of vinegar to the beginning of your meal, so you can either drink it like you're doing it, you were doing it, or you can even add it as a dressing to your veggie starter, which for most people is more like palatable. You can reduce the glucose spike of your meal by up to 30% without changing what's in the meal, just by adding some vinegar at the beginning, which is so fascinating. And the reason it works is because vinegar has a molecule inside of it called acetic acid. And acetic acid, she's pretty badass. And she does three things. Number one, she slows down how quickly starches turn to glucose in your stomach and as you're digesting things. So the glucose molecules get freed more slowly from your food. Second, acetic acid goes to your muscles and tells your muscles to soak up more glucose as it arrives into your bloodstream. And third, acetic acid goes to your mitochondria, the powerhouses of your cells, and tells your mitochondria to burn more fat. And so with this cool little cocktail, the glucose spike is reduced. And you're burning more fat. Very powerful, very easy, 
quite remarkably impactful specifically for people who have a lot of cravings at the end of the meal you know it's like oh i finished my meal i really want to have dessert vinegar seems to and there's no scientific studies on this it's just based on my community's experience it seems to be really powerful in that regard so i don't know why but really really cool it's interesting because i will sometimes tell patients too if they're having a craving in the afternoon that rather than reaching for something sweet, or if they're hungry, like right before dinner, they're making dinner and they're a little nauseous, have a lacto-fermented pickle or have a small bowl of sauerkraut or make a cider vinegar drink then as like yeah. a little aperitif. It really helps with that appetite craving. I love that. And actually, I recently posted these uh, mocktail ideas to have your vinegar as a little pre-dinner cocktail. So I'll have to send you those and you can test them out. Yeah, I anything. love vinegar mocktails. We make them here all the time. So it's like our thing. Nice. I love so many kinds of vinegars, like champagne vinegar, so many kinds. But is it specifically apple cider vinegar or can you use any of the other vinegars if you're doing it on those pre-meal vegetables or early meal vegetables, for example? It's any vinegar. Brilliant. So I didn't know apple that. cider is like the most trendy one, but any vinegar works. Whatever vinegar you have in your kitchen works. The one that I would avoid is like very syrupy, like balsamic glaze. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's different. That's full of sugar. Yeah, it's different. But yeah. any vinegar works. Yeah. Okay, we have two more to get through. Okay. So the next one you mentioned before, just in passing, but is to use your muscles for 10 minutes after your meals. Tell us about this. Mm -hmm. So your muscles, as they contract, they need energy. And the first place they're going to look for that energy is in your bloodstream. They're going to be looking for glucose in your bloodstream to use as energy. And so we can use this to our advantage. This is the hack. After your meals, use your muscles for 10 minutes. So it can be a 10-minute walk. It can be dancing to your favorite song in your living room. It can be folding your laundry, whatever you want to do. If you're at the office, go up and down the stairs or like do some calf raises at your desk, whatever. Just use your muscles for 10 minutes. Huge impact on your glucose spike. Even though you had the same meal as usual, you're going to have all the benefits of smaller glucose curves without having to change so much of what you're eating. So recruit your muscles. They are truly your best friend in this glucose balancing endeavor and we don't use them enough but they're right here they want to help and that's simple and fun and i love the idea of just putting on some music and rocking it out after you're yeah. rocking your rocking your glucose to balance okay naked carbs you I say make avoid yes we should we should have the glucose goddess playlist um avoid naked carbs mm -hmm. so carbs are starches and sugars so starches bread rice potatoes oats etc and sugar is anything sweet. So when you eat starches or sugars on their own, that's what I call eating them naked. So example, you're having a slice of toast on its own, or you're having a piece of fruit on its own. They're naked at that point. When you have carbs naked, the glucose in them will very quickly make its way through your body and into your bloodstream, and most likely will create a glucose spike. Try to remember to always add some clothing to those carbs. And by clothing, I mean protein, fat, or fiber. So on that piece of toast, as you said, you had for breakfast, for example, add some spinach, some peppers, some uh, scrambled eggs. To the apple, maybe add one spoonful of almond butter 
whatever. If you're having your favorite chocolate cake, maybe have it with a Greek yogurt instead of on its own. So that's an easy one. And it's good to remember when you're on the go, like you're at the airport, you're traveling, you're at the gas station at work, put some clothes on your carbs and you'll reduce the glucose spike. Okay. I have to ask, Tell me. what are your thoughts on intermittent fasting, particularly for women? Mm, complicated topic. I think my conclusion is if it works for you, that's fine. But it is not needed when you're trying to balance your glucose levels. What's more important, actually, is to make sure that the first meal of your day, whatever time that is, that that first meal is savory. Because again, when you're fasted and if you have something sweet, it doesn't matter you just fasted for, I don't know, four days. If you're having something sweet, you'll make a big glucose spike. And along with it, the inflammation, the aging, the insulin relief, etc. We do know that Three meals a day is better than like six meals a day, right? But how far we take that and how much we fast, I think for men, it's clearer that it actually has a really good impact. I think for women, especially in reprodu reproductive age, like it can affect our body and our hormones quite significantly. So listen to your body. If it works, it's okay. And remember that fasting is a stressor, right? It's a good quote unquote stressor on the body, like saunas, cold showers, high intensity exercise. But if you're adding all these stressors to your life, your body is going to start freaking out at some point. What are your thoughts? I want to know. I couldn't agree with you more. I find for my patients who are in perimenopause and menopause, it tends to work a little better than for my patients who are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s from a reproductive health perspective. I also get concerned when I have patients who are doing like a 16-8 protocol they're restricting for 16 hours, that being in that extended stress response actually has a rebound effect on cortisol. And then that cortisol yep. has such a profound effect on blood sugar. So I'm more apt to suggest to people who are wanting to do what they would call an intermittent fasting to narrow their time frame just a little bit so that they're eating their breakfast, they're eating their lunch, they're eating their dinner, not having snacks. And then maybe they start eating at seven or eight in the morning and then they stop eating at seven at night. So not mm -hmm. eating as close to bed, I think is more important and not eating Agreed. continually unless you're pregnant or breastfeeding and then you, just, you have to. Agreed. Jesse, this is amazing. I love how fun and accessible you're making these really simple but important lifestyle changes and food changes so available to people. I have a final question that I like to ask my guests. If you can tell your younger self anything, how old would she be and what would you tell her? Oof. She would be 20 and I would tell her, um, girl, go hang out with more like woo people who are going to teach you how to move emotions through your body and get in touch with your you know, what your body needs and ground and go walk in the forest. And I needed way more of that when I was younger. And it took me a super long time until I came to California to, to find that community. So you needed to meet me I when say. I was 20. That was <laughs> exactly, exactly. You'll meet the Viva and then you'll be fine. <laughs> oh man, it is so nice to connect with you. So everyone in the show notes, 
we're going to have the links to find Jessie, but you can't miss her on Instagram. Just put glucose goddess in there. She's literally got over a million followers. She's amazing. It's great information. And grab a copy of her book, Glucose Revolution. The first part of the book is also really fun. It's a way that you can even use the information if you have kids to teach your kids about starches and carbs. So I love that part of it too. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I have been such a big fan of yours for so long and it's such a pleasure to to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you everyone for taking the time to nourish your body, nourish your spirit, nourish your mind by being here and we'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time.